I begin with the chant from the Peace Pagoda in Leverett, Massachusetts, where I first had a chance to practice Buddhism when I was in college. And this is from the Lotus Sutra. Mamyumyohorengekyo, 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 Mamyumyohorengekyo. In essence, the Lotus Sutra tells us that everyone has the potential to become enlightened. Everyone. But it takes time. While we are in this period, this December month, that is full of holidays and holy days, many of which involve a lot of waiting and expectation and hoping for something to come, we ourselves are in another moment of expectation. With the news that vaccines for COVID-19 are on their way, are in process, we have this promise of relief. And still, we are called to be patient in this moment. It seems to me that it might be worth returning to a practice that speaks very much to expectation and attachment and how to be present and attend to the now. So my question is, how might Buddhism show up in December? Now, Buddhism is thousands of years old, and the core of it calling us to attention to meditation and awareness of suffering and wishing for peace. You know, the premise is, may all sentient beings be free from suffering. Uh, to say a little bit more about Buddhism, there are four noble truths, especially around suffering. That the first is that to acknowledge the presence of suffering, that everyone everywhere suffers and all beings are subject to it. And that is a common bond between us, that the existence of suffering. Um, and that presence of suffering includes the attachment of the self as well, the construct that there is a fixed identity, um, that there's the idea of permanence. The second noble truth is attachment to desire, being the source of suffering. Um, attachment to wanting, to wishing, to hoping is itself a source of suffering. The third noble truth is letting go of desire. We can reflect on the nature of suffering and attachment as part of the process of letting go of those attachments and trying to release ourselves from suffering. And the fourth noble truth is the path, the path of how to let go of desire. Uh, the way out of suffering is an eightfold path around our thought and our behavior and our choices. So there is suffering. There is that attachment is the source of suffering, that we can let go of desire, and there is a path for letting go of desire. Now, 
The Buddha studied this and followed his path in order to encounter this and articulate it and then share it out with the world. But what you may not be so familiar with is that is where and how he accomplished this. Um, and it happened to be, happened to have something to do with a tree. One of the things I, I was learned in the course of studying Buddhism was not only do we have, um, and the, considering Buddhism in December, is that Buddhism has its own tree. Who knew? Now, and it speaks largely in this moment. Um, so to say something about this, the path of the Buddha himself, uh, we heard the lovely story um, from delivered by Amy talking about how uh, the prince wanted to, uh, was born into wealth, born into a wonderful kingdom, and the king wanted to keep everything that was unpleasant away from the prince so that he would not be concerned uh, about the harms and the illnesses of the world. He wanted, the king wanted only beauty for his prince. And when the prince finally saw illness and old age and death, he realized that as a prince, he could only do so much, even though his father assured him that there was much he could do to ease the suffering of his people. Prince Siddhartha said, no, there must be more than I can do, and left his life of the palace, and left all of the comforts to take up an aesthetic life and to try to find a way out of suffering. And he renounced everything, Siddhartha did, and lived with others in an extreme lifestyle of constant yoga and meditation and very little food. And for some years, he continued with this practice until one day he woke up and realized that after all of that time and all of that struggle, he was no closer to enlightenment than when he started. And so he left the ascetics and found some food and was determined to find a path to help others relieve the suffering. And he sat down under the bow tree, vowing not to arise until he understood that path. Um, and there's any, a number of accounts that might differ in this legendary story, um, but part of what's the story is that he was aided in his sitting by a young woman who brought him rice and milk and thus sustained him in this path. And just by this gift, just by this woman who brought him this rice and milk every day, he already was becoming more open to finding a more balanced way. But he continued his meditation under the bow tree and on the eighth morning it came to him the basic principles of what he called the middle way. It was not an extreme denial of the body and was not hiding from suffering, but he'd found the foundation of the path and acknowledging suffering and then acknowledging the way the people could be moving forward. So this tree might have been something pretty special, so let me say a little bit more about it. It was the bow tree or the Bodhi tree and it was based, uh, comes as a, a relative of the fig family. Um, and for centuries after the Buddha, the tree became so famous that 
It was a symbol of the Buddha's presence and even an object of worship itself. There was a daughter of a king uh, who had been a nun who kept a cutting of the tree in Sri Lanka and where it still grows. But the original tree uh, and a few subsequent trees have been destroyed uh, since then. And there is now the tree that grows at what's understood to be Bodhigaya, where this all happened with the Buddha. Um, there is now currently a tree that came from a cutting previously. And many temples throughout the world also have Bodhi trees growing in them that are believed to be offspring from the tree as well. So here we have this Bodhi day that celebrates the moment that the Buddha underneath the bow tree came into his awareness and awakening. So let me bring in how this ties in with Unitarian Universalism. So we're celebrating the Buddha finding his path, but then what does this mean for us? So Buddhism came to Unitarian Universalism uh, and the Transcendentalists quite some time ago in 1844, when folks such as Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau studied Buddhist and Hindu texts. Um, they and their companions, uh, these Western Christians as they were, did not understand how Buddhism wasn't about God, per se. Uh, and these Western Christians kind of used Buddhism to project all manner of, of assumptions of things they wanted to see in spiritual practice. Um, to be fair, they were encountering religious and ethical texts of multiple cultures and from a range of translations um, from the original languages into English. And also the Buddhist vocabulary has a very different premise and perspective than Western Christianity. But over time, they studied, and now we have learned more about culture and context and language. And Buddhism in Unitarian Universalism has been a rising tradition for some decades. And some of the basics of Buddhism were part of my Unitarian Universalist Sunday School classes and in the literature available to everybody in the congregation where I grew up. And even more recently, you have Unitarian Universalist Buddhists have developed their own communities or sanghas as part of local, local congregations. And now there's even a form of Buddhism called the Boundless Way. And that boundless way was created by people who were active Unitarian Universalists, as well as students who have received Dharma teachings um, in certain lines of Buddhism. And there's even been some Unitarian Universalist ministers part of this work as well, including James Ishmael Ford. So that's a little bit of the history of where Buddhism and Unitarian Universalism encounter each other. But where this comes down to and how do we kind of relate and respond? Because a number of us kind of talk about Buddhism, and I've heard us in the congregation already, I've heard people in Unitarian Universalism in the past kind of come into this study of Buddhism and this liberal religion. Um, and we enter into it in a, in a few different ways, but here's one way of describing this, and this is from Lama Surya Das. Uh, talking about Unitarian Universalist voices. 
uh, in Buddhism. And she says, Buddhism and Unitarian Universalism value many of the same things, including experiential practice, study, and self-inquiry, mindful awareness, cultivation, insight, and wisdom development, and loving-kindness. And we combine that with active compassion in the world. So this is the heart, she says, of sacred activism, empowering, edifying, elevating, transforming, and liberating. So we take this attention to the study of what is in front of us, learning from traditions of the past, reflecting on the wisdom of teachers, and then saying, how can we bring this into our moment now and reduce the suffering in the world? Part of why I, I so appreciate the chance to return to this study is we're anticipating Bodhi Day, which is coming up on December 8th, in fact, in the Japanese traditions. I think this is one of those moments of where we get to return to practice and return to reflection and return to meditation. So this is, for me, in my way, opportunity, a return to the practice that I have been enjoying for quite some time. Um, I started this as an active practice when I was in divinity school, and I was in a period of waiting, in fact, uh, as I was in formation for ministry and was waiting to go before the final, uh, the final credentialing body that would say, yes, you are welcome to fellowship and can go off and be a minister. So I had this opportunity as I was home in Massachusetts and near the congregations where my family had been connected. And one of them was the First Unitarian Church in Worcester, in Massachusetts, and they housed the Worcester Zen Center. And it just so happened those folks were deep practitioners and, as it turned, as it ended up being, founders of the Boundless Way. And some of the, the main teachers included David Reinick and Melissa Blacker. And Melissa was part of the Center for Mindfulness with John Kabat-Zinn. And so we would have a Monday practice of sitting and walking and Dharma teachings and sitting again and going every week for one year, two years, really established that ongoing practice for me. This was attention, not attachment. This was sitting and paying attention to the breath and the body and, and also offering myself a lot of grace for when I became for when my thoughts drifted to things that were in the past or expecting something to happen in the future. And in every moment, I had the grace of being able to come back to my attention. And I could practice again and again and again. And there was no, uh, there was no right or wrong in essence. It was, you can always return to practice. There is always room to come back. You are always welcome. And you can always continue. We have this opportunity to keep practicing and keep learning how to give 
ourselves and others similar kinds of grace, to pay attention to what is needed and to see our humanity in each other and in ourselves. Unitarian Universalist and Buddhist Robert Singus tells us that Buddhism teaches us to accept the reality of our moral and emotional and living relationships, to accept them, but not by ourselves attaching to them, since they are all impermanent. All relationships are in transition from one moment to the next. Nor should we detach ourselves, he says, We shouldn't detach ourselves from life in order to escape suffering because we will not escape, but will indeed suffer more because we are then threatened by every vicissitude of life, including our own certain death. The trying to escape will will cause even more suffering by being pulled back and forth by the throes of life itself. He says, the Dharma teaches us to enter fully into the life of your mind and heart and live our life, live a life of supreme importance with mind and eyes and heart fully open and aware that everything we have and everything we are, he says, is impermanent and at the same time of supreme importance, that the life that is before you and within you is the life that is most important right now. And he says, grieve when you are called to grieve. Die when it comes your time to die. And love and accept love in this wonderful, terrible wonderful world. So this intersection of Unitarian Universalism and Buddhism calls us and reminds us of the wonder that is life before us, but doesn't hide the suffering and the challenges and the difficulty of it either. We have this life before us. We are precious. Our entire lives are precious and are meant to be loved. We are meant to be agents of compassion in the world and exercise that love. And we can become more wise as we listen and learn from ourselves and from each other and from the wisdom of ages. We can bring that wisdom and compassion out beyond our lives and keep being in service to ease the suffering of all that is. That might be worth sitting under a tree for a while, whether it's the bow tree or whether it's the Christmas tree or whether simply being in the woods as we are in this winter. I want to close with the current message from the monks at the Peace Pagoda, where I first had a chance to practice in Massachusetts, because they are keeping up with the times as well. And they say, 
These are times when we are all called to be our best, to be compassionate, considerate, and wise in our thoughts and words and actions. We will do the simple things we can, like washing hands and eating healthy food and boost our immune system. We will chant and drum and stay in when possible, walk the land as well. And we will always work to keep a positive and calm mindset to help everyone weather these storms. They say, as always, we encourage you to reach out to your neighbors and be in service to those to whatever degree you are able and to reach out to others when you need support as well. Together, they remind us, we move through knowing that we are one. So may we realize that for ourselves. Let us go in peace. Amen.